Unscripted Season 3 Can you believe it's been almost, well, it has now been three years, as we welcome you to the our season opener of our third season of Unscripted with Mike and Chris, Mike Jansen, Chris Fluke with you, and we also have a special guest. Very proud and honored to meet this young man, because everybody's younger than I am, so everybody's a young man. Uh, welcome to the program. A real friend of the show, Ryan Hall, is here with us today. Ryan, thank you very much for coming and being really one of the real friends of this little program. You've been with us since episode one. You were a guest on episode 100, and now you're here a guest, and I'm very happy to say you're a guest here on episode number 385. So thank you very much. I appreciate that. I look forward to your comments, and you know if you say something silly about the Green Bay Packers, you're going to hear about it. Um, We're going to try something a little bit different. We'll get to the news and notes and the meat and the potatoes and all the rest of the stuff. Of course, obviously, we have the start of the college. The 150th college football season really got into really got into high gear on Saturday. There were so many games on that I thought I was back in a Las Vegas casino over this weekend. Um, also, the National Football League starts in about four days, and you know who's playing, so we don't even have to talk about it, uh, but we will. Um, we've got a bunch of things to talk about, but because this is the season opener of season three, episode number 385. I bring in the executive producer to tell us about something that he and actually Ryan came up with, and I'm quite interested to play along. So I'm going to bring in Chris and let him explain how this came about and how we're going to proceed with this special season opener number three, uh, episode number 385 of Unscripted with Mike and Chris. Chris, take it away. Sure, Mike. Yeah, so I actually finally, I've always wanted to watch Quantum Leap start to finish all five seasons. I just did that over the last month or so, and it was really neat to see. I had lots of partial piecemeal memories from as a kid of certain scenes, and it was nice to put it all together. So if you've never seen the show with Scott Bakula and Dean Stockwell, uh, Scott Bakula is Dr. Sam Beckett. He is the smartest guy in the world. He makes this uh, time travel quantum accelerator thing and he doesn't know how it's going to work and he goes into it and then he starts leaping around in time randomly he doesn't control it he goes back and he's supposed to set right what once went wrong so he leaps into someone who has to save someone else from being murdered or something else and then as soon as he fixes history he randomly leaps into somebody else so we're going to do that today we're going to apply it to the sports world we're going to each have all three of us we're going to each have our own top five list of top five sports stories moments things that happen in history that we would like to change if possible we're going to try to say which person we would leap into to actually make this change do something do it different and alter history and i think that's a lot of the fun of it because quantum leap in a lot of ways it didn't really hold up as a show because a lot of it was just you know period pieces in the 50s and 60s type thing and the show was made in the late 80s and early 90s but uh, overall, it was neat. I just loved the quantum leap effect where he turns all blue and then leaps into the next person. I just loved that as a kid and still do. So that was really cool. But that's what we're going to do today. We're going to do it uh, for the world of sports. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Sounds good. I look forward to that. And um, there was, 
I know. <laughs> if you folks didn't know by this time, and I think you have if you've listened to any of the previously produced 384 episodes of our little program, I am 15 years older than Chris and uh, much more longer than that, dumber than Chris. But I have dated, I can just tell, I've dated some of mine, but that's okay. There are people out there that know what I'm talking about. I wanted to take it one way and then I decided to do it another way because, you know, whatever. Um, but I'm very interested. And how did you want to do the, uh, enlighten me is how you want to do this. You want you to start. And yeah, I'll, I'll, go, you're, I'll go you're, first. Your fifth going up to your first. Is that what? I'll, I'll do my fifth. Then okay. Ryan will do his fifth. Then you'll okay. do your fifth. Got I'll it. do my fourth, Ryan fourth, And then we fourth. can kind of, kind of, uh. Well, yeah, talk about it on in between because asshole over here to my right is going to uh at you know contradict at least one of mine i know oh, okay. knowing him got it so he'll like leap back and and you know undo it again and make history wrong again Perfect. okay so i got it yeah that'll be fun all right well let's get started okay sounds good so with my number five moment i would leap back uh into to fix the history of sports I would leap back into Dwayne Rollison in 2006 and get out of the way of the opponent barreling down on me so that I don't hurt my leg. And so I actually play the Stanley Cup final in 2006 instead of getting injured in game one. And we clearly beat the Carolina Hurricanes and win the Stanley Cup. And it's funny for me to say this because for me, this actually, the Oilers losing that series in mm -hmm. seven games actually was a good thing for my life because as I watched this happen and as we lost the game, uh, some people at work started giving me a hard time about it and things didn't go well and I ended up uh, losing that job over it. <laughs> and then I got hired for a really good job that led to an even better job and uh, it really set up my life. I made way more money than I'd ever made before in my life. I bought a condo and it like really set up everything. And it's possible that if the Oilers had won that series that... Yeah, it'd be great. The Oilers had another cup, but I my life might be way worse than it is now. I might never have met Mike, and there's just a number of things that that would have happened. Uh, but even saying that, you never know for sure. Uh, that was such a shame. The Oilers deserved the Stanley Cup that year, and uh, the Hurricanes did not. And he, it took them, you know, seven games against our backups to to win. So it was clearly a farce, which was really too bad, but that's definitely my number 5 and just because it actually helped my life them losing, I can't put it higher than 5, but it's definitely my number 5. Let's hear how Mr. Hall's pipes translate over the air. <laughs> well, thanks for having me on the show, guys. Uh on number 100 and now and I guess before anything, congratulations in advance uh for hitting 400 shows because I'm sure you guys will get there. Um, so for my number five, I'm sure this is going to drive you guys up the wall, but I'm going to go back in time as the ref or the reviewer in the 2004 Stanley Cup Finals to give Calgary their goal in Game 7. Um, was that Game 6? Was it no, Game 6? it was, six? Game, I it was, it was game, game 6. Oh, was it Game 6? Okay. Game 6. It was I the finals. Yep. Um, so I would give them their goal, and uh, they would... I. It was still in regulation time, so... There's no guarantee that they would have won the game, but it would have put them up and almost a sure thing that they would have won the Stanley Cup that year and probably would have been deserved as well. Um, 
I, I guess I, let me know your guys' comments. I, I got to tell you, I've got it right here. You can see it. I've got it right here. It was one of my extras because Chris told me to do five and then a couple of, in reserve. And I always look at it this way, boys. Happy, happy wife, happy life. And I say helmet hair, Carrie Frazier, cost the Calgary Flames a Stanley Cup championship in 1994, losing to the Tampa Bay Lightning in a series that the Flames should have won. So at, at, it pains me to say that. It pains me to say that, but I was actually, that was the first year, if you remember, the Red Mile. Mm-hmm. And I, it was my first foray that year down to the Red Mile because I thought they were going to win. It looked like it was a done deal. You didn't want to have to go back to Tampa for Game 7. That seemed ludicrous. And they were up, gelling the scores, and I'm thinking, we're going to party all night. And then it then Helmet Hair comes up and ruins the party. And still not a Flames fan, but I am in total agreement with Ryan there that that one should have been reversed. I Even as an Oilers fan and as a Flames hater, I do agree that that was a goal, certainly, and they probably would have won with that. And that was a special team. The momentum, the spirit of the city, all the other red miles since then are not the same. They're just pale imitations of that special time. So that's really too bad. If they had won that in 04 and then the Oilers had won in 06, uh, that would have been pretty interesting to have back-to-back Canadian winners, whereas still, we're still now... Neither one happened, so we're still waiting since 93 for a Canadian team. So it's still just crazy. So that would have been good for that. But I, I know uh, poor Kerry Fraser. I don't know what he does with all the Christmas cards from the Fluke household, but uh, hopefully he's saving them. Well, Ryan, uh, your first foray was very good. Uh, keep it up. I'd be interested to hear your last four. Um, number five on my list, um, and I'm I'm going a little bit deep here, and, and it, it, this is something that... I know that it's a very private thing, and I know that even people in this day and age with social media and all the different social media avenues, it's a very quiet thing that people want to keep in private, but I wish, as my number five, I wish somebody would have turned in the sports team doctors, more specifically Dr. Larry Nasser at Michigan State University. I wish somebody would have turned these perverts in before they caused all the damage that they have caused. And if Larry Nasser never sees another day of life, I have uh, outside his four by six walls for the next 100 years. That's I have no problem with that. But I wish that somebody and I again, I, I'm not blaming anybody. I'm just wishing that somebody that this animal did this these despicable things to. I wish that somebody would have had the courage or the confidence or whatever the word is to expose these perverts before they did their damage to how many other people down the line. And there's now a a doctor that has come under scrutiny at Ohio State, and there's doctors that have been under scrutiny for years about the way they treat athletes. And I just wish that somebody would have had the confidence, the courage, the whatever, to turn these perverts in before they really did a lot of damage. Yeah, you know, you're totally right. And a uh, great argument for the death penalty right there. Absolutely. No question. Absolutely. No Absolutely. question. Absolutely. Like, yeah. Uh, oh, we'll give him uh, a thousand years and we'll give this guy 2,000 years. And just, like, come on, guys. No. I, I think that kind of shows 
Anyway, whatever. Yeah. Well, crazy. Body part for body part. Yeah, that would be the, it. that'd be cool too. Yeah. Uh, okay, and so now my number four, I'm going to go to the world of the UFC and I'm going to leap into Chael Sonnen and I'm going to not take any performance enhancing drugs so that uh, none of my victories get overturned and so that I can then, number one, when I'm up four rounds to none against Anderson Silva, just run away in the fifth round and don't, uh, don't uh, you know, get submitted in the fifth round. And then I win the title, and Anderson Silva doesn't look so great, who's my second least favorite fighter of all time. And then later, I would go on to, when I'm fighting John Jones and he breaks his toe in the first round, I, uh, you know, kind of stay away from him for two more minutes, because then if that would, the first round would have ended, and if Chael wouldn't have been uh, beaten in the first round, then the uh, refs would have stopped the fight, or the doctor would have stopped the fight, and given... Uh, that match to Chael as well. So uh, my two least favorite fighters of all time, Anderson Silva and John Jones, uh, both should have been beaten by Chael Sonnen. Even if he had beaten them, it would have probably been overturned on um, at least the first one uh, for performance-enhancing drugs. So I would have avoided the performance-enhancing drugs and made slight modifications in those two rounds so that John Jones and Anderson Silva both lose. And the fact that this is this like on a top five list of all the crazy things that have gone wrong in the world of sports, I think just shows how much I hate Anderson Silva and John Jones. Um, I, I just have one quick question for you in regard to UFC before we get into uh, Ryan's next one. But I have been wanting to ask you this now for over a week because we last broadcast before this happened at UFC 241, but how surprised were you that Miocic beat Cormier at the Arrowhead Pond or Honda Center in Anaheim, whatever the hell they call it? How surprised were you, realistically, how surprised were you that Stipe beat Daniel Cormier? I wasn't surprised at all. It was an absolute 50-50 toss-up for me. Good. But, or I mean, I guess maybe 51-49 for Cormier. So I picked Cormier, but in fairness, Cormier was up three rounds to none. At that point. And then in the fourth round, uh, Miocic made a really good adjustment. He's a very smart fighter. Uh, Mike was over here, and we watched together when Nganu fought Stipe. Yep. Yep. And I was telling Mike it's going to be this amazing, exciting fight, and, you know, World War Three, and it's going to be over in a minute. Someone's going to hit someone and knock him out, and that's it. And what we saw instead was Stipe fought an incredibly intelligent fight yep. where he just neutralized and he just outsmarted Nganu. And this is what, and I mean, but now he's facing Cormier, who's incredibly smart. So what he did was he's losing three runs to none. He's not looking good. Cormier is just dominating him. And then in the fourth round, what he found was Cormier wasn't good at defending a left hook body shot. And so he would wait till Cormier did anything and then he'd quickly throw a left hand to the ribs. And Cormier had a lot of trouble defending it and was messing him up. And then eventually Miocic was able to take over and uh, land some punches to the face and knock and, and kind of take him out. But I mean, until the, like for the first three rounds of the fight, that was, it was easily three rounds to nothing for uh, Cormier and he would look to be cruising uh, there. But I mean, Miocic is a great champion, very smart fighter. So he's hard to dislike. I love both guys. Uh, Cormier is at the end of his career too. I mean, in his prime, like he's 40 now and he said he'd never fight into his 40s. Uh, you know, he's he's better all time than Miocic is. I don't care what anyone says. And he did knock out Miocic just a year ago in the first round. Uh, so yeah, it was it was too bad. It it was sad for Cormier. He might retire if he has one more fight to be against John Jones, but he has to really be motivated for that fight because you can't take that lightly at all. Okay, let's go to round number four for our friend Ryan and see what he's got to say about our quantum leap. What do you got, my friend? 
All right. I think this one might be on uh, on a couple other ones, but I'm going to go ahead and do the uh, 94 baseball strike. Uh, perhaps go back as uh, Don Fear and negotiate a deal so that we didn't miss the playoffs and then I think a full other season. No, they no, just missed the 94 the, the, season. The, the they later just, part right. of the 94 season. They just, okay. they just canceled um, the rest of the season and then ultimately the postseason as well. Yeah, so it would have been cool to see what would have happened with the Expos had they continued their amazing season and went into the playoffs potentially or or favorably what would have won the World Series, um, probably stabilized their fan base and perhaps had a new stadium built. Well, I, I, you know, I was going, that was on my list. And, um, obviously I feel that if that season had gone the way that anybody and everybody expected it to, and, and, uh, uh, you know, I, I really believe if, if the Expos do what I think that they should have done that year, there's a new baseball stadium in downtown Montreal, and we never hear of the Washington Nationals. I truly believe that. Uh, and I think I have to go back to Bud Selig and I have to go back uh, and, and, and you know what, and I remember saying this just recently in one of our episodes, I'm not issuing blame to one particular person. I'm issuing blame to the millionaires and billionaires that couldn't come together on a resolution. Um, this is not ending world hunger. This is not ending world wars. This is baseball. But as it's been proven, if a professional sports league loses a playoff season, they lose a lot, and baseball has never recovered. I don't give a damn what anybody says. This was in the middle of the, of the three out of four year reign of the Dallas Cowboys and the National Football League, and that, in my belief and estimation, is when the Dallas Cowboys and the National Football League became America's pastime. They overtook baseball, and that had a lot to do, in my my estimation, because of the cancellation of the nineteen ninety four baseball season. Um, number four on my list. Well, that I have to, I have to rejiggle some things here because that was number three on my list, but, um, a sports story that really wasn't a sports story and you know, what's coming here, but the result of the OJ Simpson murder trial, um, to me, if we have the ability to go back and take care of business, uh, OJ Simpson would be worm food and, uh, he'd be sitting in I don't know where he'd be lying in, in state right now, but um, O.J. Simpson proved everything about Americans, America's legal system in this trial and proved how, how fucked up it is. O.J. proved right there that money can buy your freedom. O.J. had the finances to put the greatest legal minds ever together. Um, if... Um, and not to make light of it, but Charlie Manson, if he had had a, a uh, dream team of Shapiro and Flea Bailey and Johnny Cochran and Robert Kardashian all working for him, um, who knows what would have happened. Um, I'm not advocating that to happen. O.J. Simpson should have died. Um, I just think that everything that is personified out there about I remember the famous line in a movie from Wall Street, uh, Michael Douglas saying, greed is good. Well, O.J. Simpson proved greed is good right there by buying his freedom. And then we still have to see that son of a bitch on, on his new Twitter account, and he's mad at Andrew Luck, and he's... 
this shouldn't even be in our, it shouldn't even be talked about anymore. He should have been gone 25 years ago or whatever it is. And uh, I think I would have to go back and have something to say to Lance Ito because Lance Ito lost control of that, of that, uh, of that whole scenario. He lost his courtroom. He was intimidated by the dream team Uh, on the other side. uh, Marsha Clark and the, and uh, I don't, can't remember what the kid's name was. The, the black guy that was his, her second there. I can't remember what his name was. Does Chris Darden, excuse me. Those two were ill-prepared and not ready for something of this magnitude. O.J. Simpson's legal team took advantage of that, and I would have to go back and blame Lance Ito because he allowed things that happened in that trial that shouldn't have happened. This should have been a slam dunk. If you just go on the uh, on the uh, scientific facts, they had that one fact that it had to be O.J. Simpson's blood, and it was 99.1%. It could be only O.J. Simpson's blood. That should have been enough to get him convicted right there. And to blame Mark Furman. Mark Furman was too stupid as an LAPD detective to worry about him. He can't even spell setup. That's how dumb Mark Furman is. And Mark Furman was made to look like an idiot, but Lance Ito was the biggest idiot of them all. Okay, for my number three, I hate to use baseball here because it just doesn't seem relevant enough to me in general, but uh, obviously I would I would leap back into uh, Pete Rose and not bet on baseball because and now I mean, it, it's tempting to leap into someone else and then just, you know, punch everyone in the face who thinks that Pete Rose doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame. But just to make it easy and just to make the right thing happen, I think you go back, you make Pete Rose not bet on baseball so that there's no excuse for keeping out of uh, him out of the Hall of Fame. He, he belongs in there. He's the greatest hitter ever, maybe the best baseball player ever. Just, you know, just amazing. Still goes around. Seems like just a really neat guy. And it just, it's just a shame. And it's just such a miscarriage of justice that it really plays perfectly into the theme of this episode. I totally agree with that. And the one thing I would add to that is that if Peter Edward Rose never sees a day in the Hall of Fame, which I don't think he will, because there's too many limp dicks now led by a guy by the name of Rod, Rob Manfred. There's too many limp dicks that don't want to take on the system. It's too bad. But if Peter Edward Rose never sees a day in the Baseball Hall of Fame, then I better never see Mark McGuire, Barry Bonds, Rafael Palmero, Roger Clemens, and all the other pill-popping morons, including uh, Alex Rodriguez. If Pete Rose doesn't get in the Hall of Fame, none of those other limp dicks should get in the Hall of Fame either. I was going to bring that up as one of mine, just to throw guys in the Hall of Fame, just to see you guys get worked up. <laughs> well, that would do I, I it. Will not, I will not. That will do it. <laughs> I will that not. will do it. <laughs> that would do it. Oh, I could see you're already there, so I will, I'll go with a different one. <laughs> um, so I'm not sure who would really be responsible 100% or who I'd have to go back as, but any time in the past four or five years, I guess maybe it would be Gary Bettman in the NHL to go back and just move, whether it's Arizona or Florida or one of the other teams that doesn't have a fan base built up or never has anyone show up to any games, move them to whether it's Seattle, who now has an expansion team coming anyway, or Quebec City or another team in the GTA. I'm sure the Toronto area could easily support another NHL team. If, if there's two in New York and two in LA, I'm sure Toronto, Hamilton, somewhere in that area could easily have another team there. And I'm sure they would be better for the game, um, make more money for the league, and you'll actually have people show up and, and the home team can actually play a home game with some home fans instead of 
having an empty arena and it's just like a practice. I couldn't agree more. I've been saying for years that I think that the Florida Panthers should be relocated to a beautiful new building in Quebec City. I think the Arizona uh, Coyotes should be relocated to a second team in the GTA. What the National Hockey League should, and all professional sports teams should be striving for, are strong, viable franchises. And I think Bettman overall, in February, he'll have He'll have completed his 26th year as the commissioner and first commissioner in the National Hockey League. I love getting people on that one because John Ziegler, who was his predecessor, was the president of the National Hockey League, not the commissioner. But overall, I think in a difficult situation, especially coming from basketball, I think Bettman has done some really good things. But I totally agree with Ryan there. Uh, Realignment of the divisions and some realignment of franchises should be first and foremost in front of the next collective bargaining agreement in the National Hockey League. Yeah, I agree. And and I didn't mean it 100% as a knock on Bettman because he has done some fantastic things and expanded oh, the game didn't. too. So I didn't I just as a Oh, you're free to rip Bettman on this show. Yeah, Please. Yeah, there's lots of things. You're free. That, lots of things he's done that I don't agree with, but everyone shits on him and he's not as horrible as what some people believe in. He's a lot better than Jane Goodell's husband, for goddamn sure. And he's a lot better than the guy running baseball right now. Mm -hmm. So I think the guy that we could all learn from in regard to the big four professional sports, I think all the professional commissioners right now could learn something from NBA's Adam Silver, for damn sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's me next, okay? Let's go me next. Um, (laughs) So you had your number three was... Well, but I'm, I'm, I'm flexible. I've got a couple extra here's a couple extra here as I get my new Walmart lips working. But um, I think the beginning of the end, <laughs> this is kind of funny. I came up with this just this morning. Um, I think the beginning of the end was the first athlete that hired an agent. That was the beginning of the sport. When was that? Any idea? I have no, I idea. Have no idea. No. I have no idea. But the Drew Rosenhouses of the world, the uh, who's the guy, the famous baseball guy, Scott uh, Boris. Scott Boris. All these, you know, all of these guys that are that are just running around and and enjoying success because of the the clients that they're able to represent. Um, I know it's free enterprise. I get all that, but my God, folks, the numbers that we're paying these guys to play ball these days, when there are people that are just aren't even working, and people don't can't survive, and people can't, uh, you know, provide for their families, and we're worried about. Uh, Mike Trout being insulted in regard to the contract that was signed by Bryce Harper and Manny Machado, so the Angels feel that they they have to and probably did probably did have to, but they go out and sign Mike Trout to a four hundred plus million dollar contract. Um, I just believe that obviously the hiring of agents jacking up the importance of what their guys bring to the game. Baseball and football and basketball and hockey were all pretty damn good back in the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, and 70s before the invent of agents. And I think we could survive today without idiots like Drew Rosenhaus, um, Scott Boros, and all their other colleagues. I wish that we could go back and dissolve that and have good... I mean, how many guys, when Chris goes to his employer... Ryan goes to his employer. Do they bring an, bring an agent along with them to negotiate their next contract? No. I think that what really was kind of the beginning of the end in regard to the innocence of sports when you bring in 
these sports agencies, Barracudas, I think that had a, a, played a small part in some people's delusionment, if you will, with professional sports. Yeah, Ryan actually did a quick little search here. It says sports agency can actually be traced back to 1925 when Red Grange hired an agent to negotiate his professional football contract. Red hmm. Grange was the first football player to have a personal representative, an agent, as they are called now, to work out a performance contract. Well, see, I'm glad Ryan brought that up, but I also remind you that the year, and this is amazing to me, the year that Joe DiMaggio hit in 50... What was it? 50... Somebody help me here. The, the, the consecutive games 56? hit streak. 56, it right, in 41, when he hit 56... He made $100,000. Can you imagine what a 56-game hitting streak would get you today? That's all I'm saying. I didn't know Red Grange had an agent back in 1925. They really became came into play. I call it as we game, came into the ESPN era of televising everything from professional sports to collegiate sports to, uh, you know, you can sit there now and watch them televise dart matches, you know, and throwing darts. I used to do that in a bar for free. So I, I just, the really, the, the big time sports agents that come in and I think that has, has kind of soured us a little bit in regard to how much these guys are making. Everybody's entitled to make, I, I'm not begrudging them, but how many millions is enough? Is Mike Trout going to, is, is Mike Trout going to spend all his money? I don't know. I just, I, I have a small problem with it. And maybe it's because I'm jealous. I'll be totally honest with you. Maybe it's because I'm jealous. But I think it's ridiculous that these guys get paid the money that they do to hit a ball, throw a ball, and catch a ball. Yeah, but you know who I'd like to give some credit to is Bobby Wagner, the excellent, maybe the best linebacker in the league. He's on the Seattle Seahawks. He just uh, negotiated his own contract. He does not have an agent. Yep. He just did his own. He did his research. He said he thought it was something he should be educated on. He did all the research and he did all the negotiation himself and he got whatever it was. And he saved eight. 15%. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, and he made more money because of that. And I think he got, what, 18 times three off the top of my head? I think he's making 54, 54 million. Yeah, and I think he's number 54, so it's appropriate. So apropos there, so so good for him. Uh, my number two is fairly predictable here. It's, of course, the Gretzky sale. I would go back as Peter Pocklington and not make that deal and not try to open up some side business that I needed the $15 million for. And then I would take a long walk off a short peter and that is the <laughs> nicest way i can possibly say what i would actually do to myself if i was controlling peter pocklington's body and uh yeah i mean on one hand you can make the case that yeah it did lead to great stuff in the states and i've got my second cousins originally from winnipeg but they uh, grew up in long beach california and they've always been big into hockey and part of it's their canadian heritage but they've talked about how Gretzky being down there really was just an amazing boon and really led to more popularity of hockey in the U.S. and especially Southern California. So, I mean, I appreciate that it was good for the game, but it still never should have happened. It was still completely ridiculous. Uh, you know, we could have given, uh, not Edmonton, but like the league could have gotten other stars into L.A. There's no reason that L.A. as a major, major market couldn't have had a pretty good team. You don't need Wayne Gretzky, who never should have left the Oilers. That was a complete farce. It was a sale, not a trade. And it was just a black mark on on hockey and spitting in the face of all of Canadians, frankly. And it, it just should never have happened. And that just was indicative of a massively flawed league that, uh, you know, thanks to Gary Bettman, has made some improvements. Uh, you know, his him sticking to his guns in during the uh, 04 lockout there 
you know, really led to some great things and getting the salary cap in when they never thought that would happen. So, I mean, I mean, good for Gary Batman. I'm not being hard on him, but fuck Peter Palkington. Let me ask you, um, and I probably know the answer to this, but I'll ask it anyway. A couple of years ago, well, now it's probably been closer to more than five years ago, but at the time, NBA Commissioner David Stern, as you know, vetoed a trade between the New Orleans, then the New Orleans Hornets, and the Los Angeles Lakers involving Chris Paul. Yeah. I'm wondering if we would have had a commissioner and not John Ziegler in there at the time, a real commissioner, an Adam Silver type, would that commissioner, do you believe, would have vetoed that trade oh, yeah. at that time? A hundred percent. Absolutely. I mean, I always worry because a lot of, uh, a lot of big wig types, they're usually based in New York. Like Gary Bettman is legitimately from the New York oh, state sure. as yeah, a person yeah. and headquarters are there too and everything. And he's just, you know, he's, uh, so I don't know if he's got that Eastern bias. Like you look at the media, how they vote and everything. They get to see all the Eastern time zone teams, ideally up in the Northeast there. And they, they really have a strong bias for them. So a lot of people would love to see, you know, little Edmonton, like they don't want to see Edmonton, little smart market team having guys like Gretzky or Connor McDavid. They want LA and the big te- teams to get them. So if you have someone with that bias, uh, then they might have let it go through. But a principled person uh, would have absolutely vetoed that trade. And I, because I, I mean, that just, that made the league look ridiculous. If you are just joining us and I'll never forget, you know who I'm talking about. Um, I want to thank you uh, for joining us for our season three Opener, episode number 385, and we are also graciously host by a good friend of the... Joined on this show. My God, I got to get new lips. We are graciously joined by a great friend of the show. Mr. Ryan Hall is with us as we go through our quantum leap moments from the wonderful and wacky world of sports. And Ryan, you're up, sir. All right, thanks again for having me. Um, I'll preface this one. I noticed, uh, Mike, a couple episodes ago, in a, in a recent episode anyway, you mentioned that you were looking forward to me coming on because I'm an antagonist of yours. And I just want to say, don't feel special. I'm, I antagonize many different people, and my next uh, quantum leap... Well, you look better than Ron Barr already, so... <laughs> Thanks, maybe. <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> um, my next uh, quantum leap theory would be to go back as Peter Pocklington before Chris took him off uh, for a long walk off a short pier and make sure the trade or sale of uh, Wayne Gretzky goes through. <laughs> Mostly selfish reasons. Kings fan. Kings fan. But it was also huge for uh, NHL hockey in the States, especially Southern California. Huge benefit. I know that it wasn't the right thing to do and it was, um, it probably shouldn't have happened or shouldn't have gone through. But uh, my selfish, selfishness, uh, takes over there and and allows it to go through, I guess, which will probably piss Chris off. You know who probably was one of the biggest benefactors, as we think about it, of the Gretzky trade going to the Southland before, obviously, besides all the fans of Los Angeles, was probably another good friend of the show, Bernie Nichols. Because Bernie Nichols got to play with Mr. Gretzky. And then, of course, in 19, his first year there, Bernie, Bernie puts up a 150-point season. Definitely and only one, yeah. and only one guy of five that have done it. The only guy of the five that isn't in the Hockey Hall of Fame, and I think that is just because Bernie Nichols has never won Lord Stanley's Cup. Um, what round are we on now? Two. Two. All right. Um, this is for U.S. college football fans. Um, in 1973, the Big Ten sent a 10-0-1 Ohio State team to the Rose Bowl instead of a 10-0-1 Michigan team 
because of, and I believe this to be true to this day, Michigan then quarterback was a guy by the name of Dennis Franklin. And he got injured with a a collarbone in the game that year, the Michigan-Ohio State game that ended in a 10-10 tie. And the Big Ten has a rule that the team that has, if they both end in a tie at the top of the Big Ten standings, and this rule still is in the Big Ten rulebook today, that if the two teams tie for the top spot in the standings in the Big Ten Conference at the end of the season, the team that has been there uh, the less, uh, the least recent. So in 72, Ohio State went to the Rose Bowl, got their ass kicked by USC. So the Big Ten was a little bit worried when Michigan should have gone because Michigan hadn't been there the most recent time. So the team that hadn't been there gets the bid if it comes down. That was the tiebreaker at that time. Wayne Duke is the guy that I would go back. He was the commissioner of the Big Ten Conference at that time, and he vetoed basically the uh, that rule about the team that hasn't been to the Big Ten if it, that was the tiebreaker. And I blame, you know, in the grand scheme of things, now, but the reason I bring this up, now they've got 9,000 college bowl games. But look at it this way. In 1973, there were only four college bowl games, four or five. And a 10-0-1 Michigan team did not go to a bowl game that year because I believe, in my heart of hearts, Wayne Duke, then commissioner of the Big Ten Conference, was worried about representation in the Rose Bowl. They were worried about the Big Ten team getting their ass kicked in the Rose Bowl again by a USC team. And what happened is, because of the injury to the quarterback, they send Ohio State, and Ohio State did go out there and really put the wood to Ohio State that year. But I felt that that was really... It's poor representation. The kids work their asses off all year, hopefully to get one of those four or five bowl bids, and they get screwed on a technicality. I think Wayne Duke should have been taken back out into the woodshed and gotten his ass kicked. Fair enough. Okay, well, my number one is very easy for me, and you know it has to mean a lot to me when the Gretzky sale is number two. And when we came up with this concept, this is all I could think about was as the number one, and everything else was playing for second. So... Uh, I would go back to the Kemper Arena in Kansas City on May 23rd, 1999, and I would leap into Owen Hart, and I would refuse to get onto the rigging that was not made for humans to be on. It was some sort of yachting apparatus, and uh, I would then not fall to my death by landing chest first on the ring post and uh, from the rafters and would not die. And uh, Owen Hart was a very, very special talent. I don't know that he was ever my favorite wrestler, but when you look back, I mean, the guy could do it all. He was great in the ring. He was funny. He was liked behind the scenes. He was the ultimate practical joker. He was very, very frugal on the road. I mean, it's it's a shame when you see anybody who saved so much for retirement and focused on that so much. And was he and Mick Foley, they would do anything to save money on the road. They would stay in the cheapest hotels. They would stay with fans. Owen Hart would stay at fans' houses. Like, he would... He would, he was just, he didn't, he was one of those people that's not weirded out by strangers. And he would just, he'd be in some random city and fans, you know, he'd talk to some fans and they'd offer to say, hey, we'll stay at our house. Sure, okay. And he'd go stay for free at their house to save money. He had a seven-year-old and a three-year-old at the time. And of course, this is 20 years ago. So now they're adults, uh, Oge and Athena. And uh, I haven't checked lately what they're up to or anything, but they might still be here in Calgary. And uh, it was just such a shame. I remember I was watching the over the edge pay-per-view at a friend's house and they told us 
that there had been an accident. It happened when the arena was dark, so most people might not have really seen it or anything, and it certainly wasn't on camera or anything. But uh, it was just, it was the most tragic night in wrestling, I think, and it was just uh, something that never, ever should have happened. A guy that was trying so hard to save money for retirement was just a great guy and the most entertaining guy ever uh, in and out of the ring, even behind the scenes with the other guys. And, uh, you know, that one bothered me. I was 19 years old. I was working at IG. I remember for, that's the only death of someone I didn't know ever, I think, uh, where it really bothered me. Like other people have really bothered me to a degree, but not like that. I was in a daze for a long time and there was just so much wrong with that. And if I had to correct one moment where something went wrong uh, that should not have gone wrong for a bunch of reasons, and fuck Vince Russo, that guy that was having Owen Hart be the Blue Blazer character, his old character from years earlier, just because he was too uncreative to come up with some something better for Owen Hart, the most entertaining, naturally, guy in the world. Uh, you know, it was just the most it was the most tragic thing to ever happen in wrestling, and my easy number one thing I would change in the history of sports. Well, this is, um, <clears throat> I have to comment on this, um, and I'm just doing this off of memory, but you'll, and you'll have to correct me if I do, if I say something wrong, but the Hart family has, they are the, the, they are the linchpin. They are professional wrestling. And this family has had so much tragedy in the ring and out of the ring. When you look at not only Owen Hart, but you look at Davey Boy Smith, you look at Jim, the Anvil Neidhart. Um, I know he's not a heart, but he's married to, into the heart family, I believe. And he's associated somehow yeah, he, with, he passed away recently. Right. I know yeah, that's yeah, why I'm yeah, saying yeah, that, yeah, yeah. but I consider him sure. as part of the heart oh, family. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I mean, Stu Hart is a legend you hear about, and you've seen the dungeon here in Calgary and all this other stuff. But this is a family that gave their heart and soul to wrestling started here with stampede wrestling here in Cowtown. And obviously they took it big time. And this family is, I, it, it kind of reminds me of like the Kennedys in a respect. Yeah. The Kennedy family has been just decimated by death, whether self-inflicted or whatever. And I'm not getting into that, but what I'm saying is this is the, this is the, this is the Halcyon family of wrestling, the Hart family. They have literally lived and died and given their lives for the game of wrestling and all respect for me. And I just saw yesterday that Bret Hart is on a new, was on a new ad campaign here in a local newspaper, and I've recently seen Bret Hart, and nicest guy in the world. Uh, people are always going up to him, and he's very gracious, and I have great respect for that, and I thank you for bringing that up because sometimes uh, it's good to hear that side of sports story as well, and, and uh, that family has been decimated by the game of wrestling. It's your turn. <laughs> okay, so my next uh, Quantum Leap thing is far less tragic than uh, than that. Uh, so mine was the uh, 2009 Great Cup. I guess I would go back as the defensive coordinator or whoever oh, would be responsible for... Sure. Um, whoever is responsible for allowing 13 men to go onto the field. Oh my God, yes. Saskatchewan had the Great Cup won easily. It was it was done. And then the, the flag came out. Saskatchewan ended up that it, it was a 10-yard penalty which allowed Montreal to re-kick the field goal, which they made and won the Grey Cup that year. Two years prior to that, uh, Saskatchewan won the Grey Cup, 07. I happened to be in Regina at the time, and I was a part of the Green Mile there in downtown Regina, which was just a blast. The, the streets were packed. People were out drinking and fighting and running around and just partying. 
So it would have been it would have been great, purely selfish reasons, I guess, but it would have been nice to be a part of that again two years later. Um, but what an abomination that was. Wow, I remember that now that and the it, game was here in Calgary. It, it's it's Paul La Police. Yeah. Is the piece of shit's name. Yeah. And he was up there and he's like, and he's like throwing and then he did such a shitty job that he was then hired to be the head coach of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And now he's now he's serving as the offensive coordinator uh, for the Winnipeg Blue uh, Bombers after he did a little bit of TV time. Yeah, anyway, but that I was I remember ridiculous. that. That was here in Calgary. I remember that Duval was the kicker of Montreal. He missed the first one, but they had 13 men on the field. And yeah. oh my God, I remember that. That's a good one, Ryan. Yeah, That's that was a great one. Paul Lapolice. What an idiot. Um, the last one for me to wind up this very fun episode, and especially fun with Ryan being here with us. Um, this is way before you guys' time, but it's it's prevalent because we're still talking about it. And and uh, the 1972 Olympic men's basketball, U.S. United States Olympic men's basketball oh, yeah. team in Munich um, had the game won. Um, I don't know. I remember that Henry Iba, the legendary coach from Oklahoma State University, was the coach. I remember that Doug Collins was one of the players on that team. I don't remember a lot of the players on that team, but this was the team that refused to show up for the uh, medal awarding ceremony because obviously they got screwed. But there's less than a second left to go in the game. The United States was up 50-49. to For some reason, they went over to check the clock, and they went over to talk to the scorekeeper. And for some bloody reason, they put two more seconds back on the clock, so that gave the Russians one more shot. And I can't remember what Russian threw the ball, but he threw it court, the length of the court, to some guy because the United States thought the game was over. So the guy catches the ball. He makes a little bunny, a little little George Mike and layup drill, and the United uh, the uh, Russians win the game fifty one to fifty, and I truly and obviously this is way before video review and all this other stuff. But the United States men's basketball team in Munich and and Munich was screwed up enough with the Israelis getting shot in the village. Um, it was it was a it was a monumental a monumental Olympics for the simple fact that it was much uh, a lot more televised events than previous olympics this was 1972 uh, but you had the israeli athletes getting shot in the athletes village 11 of them ultimately die and then not to put this on the same stratosphere but nobody died over this but yet i think american basketball died a little bit because they got screwed over by a scorekeeper and and uh if I were to change something, I'd take the scorekeeper out back and kick the crap out of him because obviously to put two, I just wanted, I just want to know what the reasoning was to put two seconds back on the clock, give Russia one more chance, and ultimately the United States loses the game 51 to 50 back in 1972 at the Munich Games. Uh, gentlemen, this has been a lot of fun. I thank Ryan for A, coming out here to this wonderful beauty that we call Calgary. We haven't seen that big yellow thing in weeks uh, in the sky, but I thank Ryan for coming, making the long drive out here, being part of this episode. And uh, I thank everybody else. Obviously, I thank Chris, but I thank the fans that have been listening and, and sending in their comments through the first two seasons of Unscripted. And I truly hope that you continue to do so as we as we strive for our goal to hit 1,000 episodes and we're almost well, we're over one-third of the way there, so hopefully you guys will hang in with us. I hope Ryan hangs in with us. I, th- I want to thank Greg as well. Greg has always been a great contributor to the show, and uh, Greg's comments are always 
warranted as well. So I thank both of you. Chris, thank you. And uh, thanks to the fans out there of Unscripted. Thanks for listening and continue to do so. Having said all that, for the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.